Welcome to Canada's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Schneider Electric, supporting Canadian businesses with innovative energy management and automation solutions. Schneider Electric, your digital partner for sustainability and efficiency. Hi, this is Angela Fay from Canada's podcast. This is podcast two with Mike and Yuvi from futurethinkers.org. You can check out our last podcast where we talked about NFTs and the new economy and how entrepreneurs should embrace digital currencies and DAOs in the future. Uh, but today I wanted to really get into some juicy details about a particular project that uh, Mike and Yuvi are spearheading. It is the building of a village. And while some people might think, oh my gosh, that sounds so so confusing, uh, there's a lot to it, but they've got a lot of experience under their belt. And we're going to talk about today some of the tools and collaborators and transactions that are happening to get this village actually happening. So Mike and Yuvi, welcome to Canada's podcast. Thanks for having <laughs> Thank us. Thank you. So one thing, Mike, we were just talking, uh, you know, I have a moonshot of building a thousand new villages and supporting the transition of a million existing villages to become more future-proof. Future thinkers, you've you've been around and you're raising people's consciousness to allow things like that to happen. So I'm just going to say gratitude for all the work that you've done. And everybody listening should also check out futurethinkers.org and, and Mike and Yuvi's podcast. It's amazing. Very inspirational. But one thing we were just talking about was whether it's talking to friends or talking to business clients, when you when you ask them, what, what, how do they imagine their future? If they waved a magic wand, what would it look like? And, you know, two things came to mind. One, people want to live in an amazing village with cool people with like minds, and they want to co-create and, and create. And tell me a little bit of the evolution of your motivation for building a village. Well, it... You know, you've kind of told the story of how we got started in the last podcast episode. There's a, another piece to that where we started meeting other digital nomads all over the world who were running passive income businesses, like just living the dream of passive income business and traveling Thailand and all this kind of stuff. And it was funny how much there we noticed this pattern of like dissatisfaction with that lifestyle over time. It's just not enough. I need more. I need family. I need friends. I need connection. I want to write a book or do something creative. And we realized this is just sort of like a natural progression of human nature. We want, once we have are free from some of the, you know, full-time work and, and obligation, we start to become creative and want to have some positive impact. So there's a, a piece of that with the village that we want to provide for people. Like, you know, maybe work a little less hours and maybe have, um, you know, tools for creative expression at your disposal within the village. And so building all of these things in, I think is really important for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're, uh, and both of you are new parents at the moment and you've got multi-generations of generations around you. What else would the experience look like for people? Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the, you know, raising kids together, raising kids in the community is how we have been doing it, you know, throughout all of human history. And wasn't until the last maybe 50 years that this whole nuclear family became a thing. Uh, before that, people lived in communities. Um, and I think that we're we're not designed to do it as a nuclear family or, you know, as single parents. It's just too hard. 
um, and it's, you know, isolating and difficult and miserable. Um, I think people are meant to live in community, but uh, the way that our towns and cities are designed makes it difficult. So we want to design something from the ground up that is actually uh, more conducive to that. Um, and, you know, not built around cars, it's not built around industry, it's built around people and community uh, being in a healthy relationship with the natural environment. Um, health is a huge thing for me. I, you know, the way that people live in cities is really unhealthy on many, many levels, you know, and, and the last year I think has just shown it to people how unhealthy city life is because all the fun things are shut down. People just are stuck indoors and, you know, mental health is worse than ever. Um, so for me, yeah, I just want to create this environment where, where people are, are healthy and expressed and, um, have the, those social connections, um, that they need to thrive. Well, we both live in mid-sized cities in in Canada right now, so we, you know we're we're a little bit privileged, I, I would say. But um, I, I believe the future is, you know, that of course we'll always have urbanization, right? We'll have a big percentage of the population living in major urban centers. But as the world evolves, consciousness evolves, and work totally evolves, I think those this whole movement back to village living, mm-hmm. and and it's so which is why I have a moonshot. Cause I think we can get there quickly. Like I'm talking within five, even 10 years, we can achieve that moonshot. What I, what I really want to do is harvest and, and amplify the learnings that you guys have experienced already, because you're right at the cusp. You're already doing it. And let's, let's put some framework around your village. Where, where is it located? Tell us a little bit about the size. Tell us about what might be in your village. Sure. Yeah. So right now we're in Kamloops, BC, um, but the land that we're just about to close on and we've uh, we've now raised all the funding we need, thankfully. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. That's huge milestone. Huge. Thanks. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah it's we been got a, down to the wire. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really, really stressful year, but we've done it. So awesome. um, the, the land is located in Wells Gray. It's just at the entrance of the provincial park um, and it's a former golf course and RV park. So that's what we we're starting with. It already has some infrastructure. It's actually 400 acres. So it's massive. Um, the, the size of the village. Well, so, you know, are you familiar with the Dunbar number, you know, 150 people? Yes. Yes. But, but I am, but let's just explain it a little bit for listeners. What is it? So Dunbar number is the, the kind of optimal number of people that we're capable of having close relationships with because of the way that humans have evolved. Um, like our, our nervous system is just programmed that way that if, if we have more than 150 relationships, they end up being kind of very transitory and shallow. Um, so that, that's the optimal village size because we have evolved in villages of 150 people or less. Cool. Um, however, you know, we might end up having several micro villages on the land. Uh, and maybe there's a different focus on, you know, for each village, mm-hmm. just like if you go to different parts of the world, like in Europe or in Asia, and you go to these villages, a lot of the time there's kind of a specialization. Maybe there's a lot of shoemakers in one village or like yes. a lot of painters in another one or, you know, pottery uh, people in another one. So we could do something like that. You know, one maybe is more tech focused, another one more health and wellness focused, another one more art focused, you know, something like that. So I can see us doing that. But I think that for, for the first little while, we'll just aim to have 150 people or less. Um, and a lot of focus on events. So it's an RV park and we're going to expand that portion of it. 
Uh, so we'll have a lot of capacity to host people so that they can come check it out, you know, mm-hmm. see what they like, you know, and what they can learn and meet others as well who are interested in similar things. Well, and I think we share the sort of vision of, of villages will always have a residential component and then the ability to house visitors, whether they're coming for leisure or whether they're coming to actually work on a project, right? That, yes. that might be driven by the community to say, we're going to produce something and we need collaborators come on from around the globe or around the country and stay with us. We've got temporary accommodation or bring your RV, uh, things like that, which I think are very exciting. What in the residential component, what, what do you have secured as you're building this village and what do you need? Where do you need help or collaborators? Well, one thing we're, we're working on is um, a new type of investment model for, um, Mm -hmm. for dwellings. So we're really interested and this is another thing that cryptocurrency enables is fractional real estate investing so you don't yep. necessarily buy a house by yourself you can invest a portion you could invest a dollar and own a dollar's worth of a house um, this is all made possible by smart contracts and cryptocurrencies and some legal kind of maneuvering um, so we think that's going to be a way we're going to build out the village to start at least the first section of the village is by crowdfunding each new dwelling cool another thing we want to do is have a whole bunch of different types of regenerative or passive uh, buildings. So we would love to do an earthship. We'd love to do different types of A-frame cabins, geodesic domes, things like that. So people can actually like, because everyone who wants to start a village village, gets attracted to some idea of the way they want to live. And they might not actually like that after spending some time. So we want to give people a bit of a sampler. Even if we have no intention of making an entire village full of geodesic domes, it'd be nice that you can get that experience and then go back to your own town or wherever you're from and and know a little more in detail what you would like to do through experience. Yeah, I'm super interested in adobe houses and earthen houses because mm-hmm. they they have thermal mass and they actually breathe. You know, the way that we currently build houses, they don't breathe. So the air indoors becomes very, very uh, bad quality. Um, and, you know, earthen houses breathe, breathe and you don't need um, as much heating and cooling throughout the year. So they're more passive. And then hempcrete is another really cool um, thing that they talk about it as an innovation, but it's actually not. People have been doing it for thousands of years using hemp and straw as part of the building material to insulate the house. Um, so, yeah, we're looking into that as well and going to, you know, try and, all of the building techniques. And in your experience, because uh, I can't wait to go, you know, I, I see this village as really the one of the inaugural prototype villages of the future, which I can't wait to promote for you. Um, but these different houses, obviously the natural environment dictates what's going to be most suitable, whether, you know, whether we're, if we're building in BC versus Yukon versus Africa versus Australia, right. The different building techniques are, are kind of critical, but in, in your village in particular, have you found enough suppliers of the, the different building techniques that you've talked about that can actually help build? So a lot of these uh, building techniques, actually, um, you can use materials from the land. And as okay. much as we'd like to do that, um, because I think that, you know, first of all, uh, the way that we have supply chains right now where things, materials are shipped from across the world, it's not very sustainable. And we'd like to avoid that if possible. 
Um, and secondly, you know, um, some of the conventional building techniques that we have now, they just don't produce very high quality houses. Um, so uh, we're going to invite uh, sort of teachers in those building techniques. And a lot of them, you know, have existed for thousands of years. So they're not new. They've been tested with time. And, you know, there's yes. uh, Adobe houses standing for 500 to 1,000 years in other parts of the world. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, and so, that's some of the kind of criteria, right, of of looking at more earth-friendly models is, is we came from sort of a capitalist, industrialist, mass production, you know, last couple of 100 years, whereas the next evolution, I think longevity and low maintenance and, you know, different criteria are being built into how we want to live, right? We, we, <laughs> I remember... I, I lived in Australia and I remember a friend coming over and, and asking what what's on your roof there in Canada. I said, well, there's shingles and we have to replace our roof like every 10 years. And he was blown away. He'd never seen anything like it. So what we are used to is really just habit and mm -hmm. social constructs and norms. And I love what you seem to be doing or introducing or bringing back, revitalizing actually something that has historical value that has that longevity built in. So I think that's amazing. So speaking of, so what, I, I just want to ask a question. How did you raise the funds to buy this land? How did that happen? It's a combination. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we've tried from the beginning to do everything as replicable as possible. And we keep discovering like this is sort of unique and weird. So we transitioned into being more like we're going to make a lab and we're going to test things and try things out. Because the podcast fed the first number of investments. We just put it out there. If you've been listening to the show, you want to support us um, and you've got some extra money, then you can invest and we'll, we'll give you equity um, in the company. And so we raised uh, about half the amount that we needed that way. And then we were thinking like, do we want to raise more through equity or do we want to try something innovative? And we were in the cryptocurrency industry and we thought, you know, cryptocurrency is just on the cusp of being a little too difficult if we were to make our own token and you right. know, we've got to program it and, and we've got to hire developers, which in that this industry are so expensive. Um, and then suddenly the NFT craze took off. And what the NFTs have done that people don't realize is they've granted the tools for currency creation to anybody. So you don't need to know any bit of coding or programming. You can just make your token, make your supply, set your price, sell it and and that's it. This, you can do this in like less than five minutes. Um, I've, I did a bunch of our tokens in like 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's super easy and, and all the tools are right there. Yeah. So we decided let's make a crypto or let's make a NFT. It's kind of not really an NFT because there's, you know, a supply of 10,000 of some of them. So it's, right. it is fungible, but the tools, the software is there. So you were going to add something? Yeah, um, just for those who maybe hadn't listened to the previous episode where we talked about non-fungible and fungible tokens. So there's kind of a difference there. And, um, you know, non-fungible tokens are, are unique objects on the blockchain and fungible tokens are interchangeable. Like, you know, a dollar is the same as another dollar. And so there's a huge, there's a huge difference there, you know. Uh, and right now the Canadian government kind of sees them all as in one bucket. Right. But I hope that with time, they begin to recognize that they're actually completely separate things. 
um, that NFTs aren't really a currency. They're more like a, an object, like, an, you know. And so going back to like land acquisition, you raised kind of half without an exact percentage, but half through traditional means of equity raising. And then are you suggesting that you've raised another half through the NFT? In about a week, yeah, we've raised what? the remaining amount that we needed. What? <laughs> so, not, not quite. Um, about That's a quarter pretty... we raised through NFTs okay. and another quarter through a private loan. Yeah. Okay, so private loan. So we've got three different mechanisms here. And I just, if, if nothing else, uh, just the business case for NFTs have just been proven in this conversation. I'm just going to suggest that. And, uh, yeah. that you know, that it's legitimate and... Uh, I, d I did want to talk because it's it's really difficult to talk about your project without talking about the uniqueness of NFTs and how people can get involved. Um, but and that's part of the goal for me is is I'd like to learn from you on building this village. I'd like to somehow enroll the Canadian and, and some global collaborators and, and buyers of your NFTs to make this happen fast, because I just think we need to scale this. Right. And I guess my my next question of you, do you think the the concept is scalable or what would you be able to provide to other people as advice to build their own village? Well, the 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 NFT question is kind of a separate thing. Like we we've, we've got a bunch of innovations and kind of added functionality to it. And, and there's pieces that plug into the village. Um, but there's a, there's we've learned uh, quite a lot about NFTs as we've been going. And even now, after we've launched, we've learned a lot that we, we want to implement eventually into our existing NFTs. So you have to look at NFTs and understand why people are buying them. Um, they're like mm -hmm. the, the closest comparison you could make is like baseball cards or sports trading cards. Um, there's a, a unique, rare item, and it's a piece of art that represents something to you and maybe has meaning if you're a big baseball fan, it's it's valuable to you. But there are also communities of people out there that share that same perception of it. So, you know, one of the most popular NFTs out there right now is called... Um, Board Ape Yacht Club. Board Ape Yacht Club. It's <laughs> Board Ape? A-P-E? Board okay. Ape, yeah. yeah. And it's just a collection of like apes, uh, <laughs> just an image of apes, um, and they have different traits that are kind of, um, you know, there'll be a different facial expression or the eyes okay. will look different or they'll be wearing different clothes. They're all in the same position looking in the same way, but they've sort of algorithmically varied all of the traits. And certain traits are more unique and rare mm -hmm. than other traits. And this, this silly NFT <laughs> campaign has absolutely exploded. Um, and people are trading them and treating it like they're investing into a currency. It's like, oh, I bought in at one ether and now it's worth four. And what's the ceiling? What's the floor of this? And they're really taking like a, a currency and standard investment model right. and applying it to this art piece. And they can do that because of what the cryptocurrency like functionality has allowed for this liquidity, this marketplace thing. At Schneider Electric, we empower Canadian businesses to utilize energy and resources efficiently. Schneider Electric, the future of energy. I get excited. I get that sort of mindset of the of the asset and the trading. Uh, but I also imagine, you know, NFTs being used for lifestyle choices. And this is where I want to kind of touch on, like, you know, I want to, I want to. Um, visit your village when you're up and running, or maybe I can imagine having a, you know, an hemp Crete 
uh, home building workathon weekend where I bring the kids and before we leave, we build a house and it, you know, after that, come and visit again. But uh, I, I feel the compelled to just sort of screen share with everybody and just kind of touch on your NFTs. But what it means that if you invest in your NFTs, what experience people are going to expect down the down the track is that a, is now a good transition to introduce that what do you think sure yeah there's one thing i should build in but you can do the screen share thing but that okay. we've got multiple nfts that we're selling so mm-hmm. there's one specifically called the seed token which is a lot more akin to that kind of trading card thing now the thing is when you when someone buys an nft from us we've got their wallet address forever right. and we can always tell which wallet address even if they trade it we can tell everyone all at once who possesses one of our seed tokens. And so we can send gifts in the future. We can drop different types of tokens. And one thing we want to experiment with is like dropping accommodations, um, dropping event Event tokens, tokens. and then eventually want to sort of test out governance and see how like maybe we have a pool of funds and people can vote on it and, Mm -hmm. and sort of like vote on what to do. Um, this is all just experimental in the future, but we will have everyone's wallet addresses and be able to drop these these tokens in the future. So it's that's really cool. And but that's not even the full picture with the seed token. And another thing that they represent is a physical tree on the property, because when you buy a seed token from us, we're going to physically go and plant a tree, and we're going to do it according to our permaculture design plan. So it, it, there'll be different types of trees, there'll be different plants. We have to do a massive crop of hemp. If we're going to build hempcrete buildings, right? So you know, there's different rarities of the different types of plants and trees that'll be probably the most common thing will be hemp, because that's the thing we need the most of. And so you will buy the seed token from us, and then in the future, when we go to plant that tree, your seed token will evolve into the plant that it represents physically <laughs> on the property, and there'll be varying you know rarities for all of these d- different types of plants. So it kind of builds in this like trading card element. And then on top of that, there's this evolving programmability of those NFTs. So mm-hmm. I plan on implementing like day and night cycles into the art. So as you're, you can look at your art and watch it change as the day progresses and suddenly the background will be dark. Uh, you'll watch the growth of your, your NFT go from seed to full-fledged plant. So you won't, you'll see like a planted seed, but you, unless you know what a hemp plant seed looks like, you can't tell what it is until the thing is grown. <laughs> right. And then there's other functionality I'd love to build in. Like I, I love this idea of a bat signal. Like if we have a big event on the property, I would put some back, change the background of the NFT to show that maybe a light show or something if we have right. a party. And so everyone will be like frequently kind of checking their art and, and seeing what has changed. If we build a treehouse for our kid, maybe we'll put that in one of the NFTs. <laughs> like there's all kinds of things that we want to do. And we're we're just full of ideas and and the technology well, out there now makes this so easy for us yeah. to do this. And we've been working with some people who are professionals in the NFT and, and crypto space. So they're they're helping us figure out the tech. Yeah. Um, but then Mike is also quite techy. Um, so well and let me just talk about I know I was listening to your podcast groups like the common stack or long tail financial. Is that some of the people you're talking about? Can you just yeah. give me an idea of how they're helping you? What what are what advice are they providing? We are about to release a podcast episode with um, Jeff Emmett from Common Stack um, okay. that should hopefully get released today, maybe mm-hmm. tomorrow. And that he goes over governance. So basically all the different ways that you can use cryptocurrencies to okay. um, vote and all the mechanisms to prevent like 
oligarchies and and monopolies and all these different things to to give people like a vote on individual issues without a lot of corruption of the space. So, mm-hmm. um, and long title financial, um, they they specialize in token engineering. Um, so sort of you know the the pro- programmability of the tokens and how that affects okay. the way that they're used. Yeah. Um, and you know the yeah they're also AI guys. So you know if we ever want to do uh, sort of experiments with automation, then they'll also be helping with that. Which we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might have to be a year of podcast from now. We'll do another one. But so yeah. I just want to uh, go back. We talked about a lot of the material uh, building on site. We talked about the land. Uh, we talked a little bit about governance and uh, we talk a little bit about in the in our first podcast, if anybody wants to go back and listen about uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, I'm assuming that that would kind of be how governance would would operate in your village. Is that true? Yeah. So we're <laughs> we're looking at. Yubi's always kicking me under the table being like shut up shut up shut up (laughs) we're not locking you in don't worry we're not gonna we're not gonna lock you in but it's just discussion it's what we want to do whether we can execute on it is a whole other question but I'm in love with the idea of having a DAO and decentralizing the the um, decision making but there are some legal ramifications of that and there's ways to interpret what we're doing is oh that's a security now so now you owe this level of taxes so Right. Basically, we've just got to say this is an idea for the future. We're not really sure if we're going to do it. And we have to do some maneuvering to make it possible. Yeah. So, you know, there's like um, there's a lot of innovation in the space. And I think a lot of it could be really, really transformative for our society. But there's some yeah areas where it intersects with the current legal system, where the current legal system doesn't recognize it as legitimate even though it's not something criminal at all. Mm-hmm. It's not intended to, you know, produce fraud or, or issues, yeah. but it's just like the people who are making the laws just aren't up to speed with the technology. There's, so it, yeah. it's going to take some time for, for it to get adopted, but I hope that, uh, you know, in a few years that'll happen. And so. maybe let's the, a wave of magic wand goal is, is, you know, enable an ISO, an international standard or some early adopter um, legal systems to sort of pave the way for this to happen quickly would be very cool. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about was food is what's your plan for food and healthcare? And those two things are kind of converge in your village. What would it look like? Yeah. Um, So for food, my vision is very bioregional. So, you know, right now we ship a lot of food from across the world um, because we're spoiled and we want strawberries in February. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I think we need to switch to a more bioregional diet that is more in line with the cycles of nature mm-hmm. and, and the things that are available in different seasons. And yeah, we can certainly do season extension with greenhouses, not the kind of greenhouses that you see on farms now that are completely artificial. Um, I see my vision of solar greenhouses that are half submerged in the earth. So they actually, um, you know, the earth protects, uh, the earth insulates the greenhouse. And then also you have natural soil rather than hydroponics. Um, And so the plants grow in a natural environment and the the roof is, um, you know, slanted and glass so that you get, and it's positioned in the right way that captures sunlight. Um, And then you can incorporate aquaponics, which, you know, you have fish, in a pond and then it it cycles the nutrients and you know fish poop fertilize the ground it's a really amazing system so um i'm very interested in that for season extension 
But overall, I think the bi-regional um, food approach is really important. And that way we, you know, support local farmers and, and um, support local food producers. Um, so as far as the actual village, I see us producing some food, maybe not all of it, and also working with local farmers to, um, to get the things that they produce. Um, but, awesome. you know, per permaculture approach. So, uh, you know, whatever nature says that should be produced, um, I think is what we should produce. You know, whatever works, whatever kinds of animals and plants thrive in that environment is what we should be doing rather than trying to force it. So as we lead into, you know, a, a near future where we're living in a village with like-minded people with global digital nomads coming to work on projects, we need to start moving towards a bioregional diet and getting rid of our habits and social constructs that, and, and maybe our, our attachment to variety at all, at all costs, right? That's something that um, as, as a human, we're going to have to shift our mindset on, on yeah. what's reasonable. But, you know, technologies enable new things as well. So, you know, with electric cars and solar energy, it's possible that supply chains could expand again to be a little more global. Um, I mean, I think there's going to be a shrinking because of COVID to a more bioregional level because we just simply can't ship things as much anymore. There's not right. supply. Um, but I think it could expand again in the future. And another point I want to bring up is the importance of uh, bringing back our ability to fabricate our own goods on site. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of having a maker space, like 3D printers, CNC machines yeah. to be able to be like, I need a chair, I need a desk. Okay, download this template from the internet and send it to the machine and the sh machine makes it. And these, these um, tools are becoming cheaper and cheaper all the time. Which so leads me actually to your medical question. So mm -hmm. I, I think that... Um, I think that there's still a lot of value in having kind of uh, regional hospitals um, and, and having, you know, sort of the medical system as it is, but maybe in an evolved version where it incorporates more holistic health, where it's, you know, actual healthcare, not sick care, yes. where we're, yes, we're not just exactly. treating symptoms, yes. where we're treating the underlying issue, uh, underlying issues. And that a lot of that is just in how we live and how our environments are structured. You know, people are stuck indoors so much. They don't move. They eat food that isn't healthy. And of course, they get all these different health issues, you know, physical and mental and emotional health. Um, or they're isolated. They're not actually like having healthy relationships with the community and with other people. And, you, you know, of course, they're depressed. It's no wonder. Um, so I see just the way that the village is structured as you know, solving a lot of those kind of underlying health issues and, and the food that we eat, obviously, you know, if the food is local and in season, cause that's, that's important. Like when the food is out of season, they have to coat it with all sorts of stuff or like spray it with things to keep it fresh. But when it's in season and when it's local, you don't need to do that. It's so um, true. Yeah. So you don't need to use all these chemicals. Um, so that's that's one part of the healthcare, and then the other part is three um, D printing and sort of decentralized healthcare, where you know we can have access to doctors uh, through the internet, and we don't have to go in for certain things, and uh, we can three D print certain technology medical technologies that can help us diagnose things quickly, or you know see see the different kind of um, you can even plug in your uh, vital stats into software and it can diagnose you probably more accurately than a doctor at this point. So I see us using a combination of this kind of super um, natural holistic approach and very high tech. 
I'm, ex- I'm excited because um, I, I just think, you know, there's a little bit of watch out public systems of the past. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of not just innovation, but actually disruption happening in village building. And so I think uh, anybody who believes that in the next five or 10 years, they can, they want to, or they, they would love to build a village. I think we want to invite them to our space, futurethinkers.org and Futureville. Uh, but be in post podcast, I'd love to uh, sort of communicate how people can get a hold of you post podcast. Now, UV, you mentioned that you wouldn't mind some additional collaborators. Who are you looking for? I think at this point, any uh, professionals that have experience or knowledge in natural building would be super useful for us, um, especially people who bridge the uh, sort of conventional way of doing things and, and the natural building. Um, so, you know, for example, architects who are, are professional architects, but they also have experience in natural building or planners who've had experience getting permits for alternative buildings. That sort of thing would be super useful at this stage. And what, how can they connect with you? What's the actual project or, or what's the best way to communicate with you on that? Um, they can connect with us through futurethinkers.org. That's our website. They can check out our vision for the village at futurethinkers.org slash village. Um, and uh, yeah, just get in touch with us and, and tell us uh, what your experiences uh, has been and what you're all about. And if you're in BC, even better. Uh, email would be contact at futurethinkers.org. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Now, Mike, we're going to touch in. I'm going to share my screen because as a consumer, either a resident or visitor to uh, the Future Thinkers Village, um, you know, they're, they're, your NFTs are a mechanism that we can sort of tap in to, as, uh, imagine it as, as a futures option, right? That if we, we could buy an NFT now. I'm just going to share my screen. And if you want to talk us through if, if this is a great mechanism for people to get involved, um, you know, this is what I discovered when I was uh, looking up what are your current NFTs. Do you want to just talk me talk us through that a little bit, Mike? Sure. So there are four, I think, four levels to the NFTs. Um, there's the kind of basic level that allow anyone to jump in, and then there are the like bronze, silver, gold, uh, and diamond level, which is this is just us throwing it out there. If someone wants to buy it, they can buy it. Uh, but the price is absurd on the higher level ones. And people actually have bought them, though. It's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the seed tokens. The art that you see, I actually designed myself. Um, and I took, I just bought a drone to survey the land. And so the footage you see of the, the forest oh, cool. and the creek running through is actually on the property. Cool. And then if you look at the the little A-frame cabin right in the center of the image, oh, yeah. um, that's, uh, you know, one of the favorite types of dwellings of mine. Um, I want to build an A-frame that has that exact. You know what? You should put, you should do that and and donate half the money to homeless shelters. Interesting. Uh, we're not sure exactly. Like, I don't even think we've sold any of those yet, but. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's up for sale yet. We're just uh, focusing we on that. the seed right now. Yeah. So. You know, we've got this idea of like supporting different causes or, you know, when it comes to the DAO in the future, it'd be nice to have an NFT that was like funding the first stage of the DAO. So maybe we'll do that mm-hmm. through the tarp on a stick. It'll just be kind of like we'll play around with the money generated from that. And so just for clarification, so if I was to buy one of your NFTs here, a seat, what does that entitle me to when it comes to engagement with the village? Sure. So the way that we're seeing this is like a, a membership access key or like a membership card. Um, 
which gives you access to the digital ecosystem. So it doesn't necessarily give you the right to live at the village, but it does give you the access. You become a member, um, right. which means that you can get access to different kinds of groups where like if you want to collaborate on projects at the village, you would need to have one of these membership cards. Right. Um, or if you wanted to attend certain events that are members only, you would need it. It also gives you access to a, a, a digital group in our community online. Um, and then, of course, you know, we over time, we, we will drop random prizes to people for, for events it. and accommodations and things like that. So the way I think the easiest way to explain it is just a membership card and there's a limited supply of them. So we only, you know, minted a certain number of them. And uh, once they're gone, they're gone. Gotcha. And um, the difference between the like the basic, the bronze, the silver is that um, so we have the, you know, evolving aspect. So right now it's the seed. And then once we start doing permaculture design, then people will have the option to plant their seed. So how you would plant that in the digital space is you would, you know, go on a web page and you, you'll be able to enter your token into a smart contract and then it'll spit back out plants. Um, and those plants will be actually the actual trading cards. They will have the different traits and, you know, there'll be different kinds of plants, some more rare than others, and they'll still function as, you know, membership tokens. But the uh, some of the higher tiers, you just get more plants. And then with each tier, there's a bonus of how many plants you get. So it's like bulk discount, basically. So if you want to, you know, get, you know, uh, more of these plant tokens, then you just get a, a bronze or silver or gold seed. And then, yeah, you'll get more of them. I love it. Uh, so for if can you leave any lasting comments or for our audience, if they have a vision to either partake in your village building or potentially build their own, what's the best, you know, top, top couple of actions that they should take today after listening? Well, you know, we're, we're still in research phase in a lot of ways. Like we are, we are buying the property, we are taking action, but, and we have like had a lot of interviews and conversations with people in preparation for this, but you know, the podcast has really like been the feeder for all of our ideas. And yes. so we've, we've taken it, you know, we, we've endeavored to try and find different experts from all over the world that will help build out the vision. So we have a list of podcast episodes that you can get caught up on that okay. cover everything from permaculture to like natural building to uh, social cohesion and governance and all kinds of different things. Um, and so basically just catching up on the podcast episode there, you can uh, you can probably go to slash re regenerate, I think. Did you think is that org slash regenerate? It might be regeneration. Um, and then there's a it's basically a podcast category of all the sub all the people we've interviewed to do with Earth Regeneration. Awesome. That's fantastic. Mike, UV, I can't wait to see the unfolding. Uh I again I just want to congratulate you on the milestone of buying the property. I think that's a massive first step. And uh, but you have a clear vision for the future. I will wish you all the best. I'm probably going to be looking at that RV camping seed at some point. And uh, it has been a pleasure showcasing you here on Canada's podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, it's been awesome. This podcast is brought to you by Schneider Electric, supporting Canadian businesses with innovative energy management and automation solutions. Schneider Electric, your digital partner for sustainability and efficiency.